The scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 and verses 10 through 20. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. As I'm sure you know, there is an online platform called Yelp where consumers can rate and review their experiences with different businesses. So if you go to a restaurant, you go to a nail salon, maybe you hire a plumber, hire a dog walker, whatever the case may be, you can go on Yelp and you can let the whole world know your level of satisfaction with the goods and services that that business provided for you. Um, people also will go on Yelp to rate and review churches. Um, maybe you visit a church on a Sunday morning, you worship with the congregation, and, and uh, on your way home you can just take your phone and you can, you can rate the church, you know, one to five stars, how satisfied you were, you can write comments there. It's just a way, a way of letting people know about, um, about the church. So I thought I would begin today by reading some comments from Yelp reviews of various churches in Queens, New York. I won't tell you the churches because I don't know if the reviews are fair or not, but these are just some comments people had after worshiping in, in uh, different, uh, different church services in our borough. So some, the first one is very positive. first couple of ones very positive. Uh, here's one. It says, the Sunday service is amazing. Really good music and a solid sermon. The people are very friendly and down to earth. You hope to find that in a church, right? Next one, also positive. This, this church atmosphere is joyful, 
motivational and instructional. And those three adjectives are all, they're in all caps, like, yes. Uh, it says, in contrast to the negative aspects of many churches, it's definitely not somber, discouraging, or impractical. That's good. The next one's a little humorous. Um, great sermon. The new pastor is hilarious, intelligent, and awesome. The worship is awesome. I needed to use the bathroom after the service. Not so awesome. Huge line for the ladies' room. Um, this one I found intriguing. Incredible church. I have been to over 30 churches in the last two years. By the way, that's some serious church hopping, isn't it? I, I have been to over 30 churches in the last two years. This is it for me. The worship got to my core. I was in tears. I couldn't speak or sing. That's how choked up I was. This next one is kind of negative. All right, and I, maybe they were not being fair. Horrible service. The music was extremely loud. The preacher wore a flannel shirt. Really not impressed. Not for me. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. <laughs> um, I have one more, and this is my favorite because of the honesty. This person is just so honest, and, it, and, and this review actually made me want to visit this church. This person wrote, the free food is the best of all. <laughs> so those are some reviews um, of worship services. And what we have in, in this passage, this is, by the way, just one of the lectionary passages for the day. This is a tough passage. I'm not, I'm not in a bad mood. That's not why I'm preaching this. I just want you to know that. But what we have in this passage from Isaiah 1, this is kind of a review of a worship service. This is God's review, if, if you will, of the worship that was taking place in Jerusalem during the days of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah Isaiah was a Hebrew prophet in the 8th century before Christ. He, his ministry spanned the reigns of four different uh, Judean kings. Uh, they're listed there in verse 1, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And uh, a number of, number of details in, in, in this passage would indicate that this, these words were spoken during the reign of the king Hezekiah. And during the reign of Hezekiah, um, there was sort of a national revival in passion for worship. Um, uh, Hezekiah, during this time, uh, restored the temple in Jerusalem. He reinstituted the celebration of the Passover. They had neglected that. He recruited priests to come and serve before the Lord. He organized a, a team of singers and musicians, and he gathered people from all over the land, even from outside the borders of his nation, Thousands and thousands of people he gathered in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in worship of the Lord their God. So this is during a time when worship was becoming very, very important to the people of Judah. And in this passage, we have God's review, God's evaluation of their worship services. So we'll work through this, and I'll just look at three things. First, let's look at the review that God gave them, or his evaluation of their worship. Then, then we'll think about why God gave them that evaluation. And then finally, what, what God told them to do so that their worship would be more pleasing to Him. So first, the review. How did God feel about their worship? The answer is clear. He hated it, didn't He? These are hard words. 
It starts out in verse 10. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. That probably shocked them to hear that. You see, in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah are often viewed as some of the most evil cities in all of biblical times. Here they were not in an evil city. They were in the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. And yet God calls them Sodom. He calls them Gomorrah. In verse 11, God says, the multitude of your sacrifices... What are they to me? The, the New King James Version translates that. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? God is saying, I don't see any purpose to this. I don't even know why you're coming to the temple. Well, there's, there's no, this is meaningless. There's no meaning for this. He goes on. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? They might have said, well, you asked us to do this. Lord, it's in the law of Moses. This was your idea. But God's saying, you know, who, who invited you here? Verse 13, it gets even worse. He says, stop. Just stop. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. And he says this, your incense is detestable to me. Some of you have read the book of Exodus, and you might remember how God, through Moses, gave, gave the priests of the Lord instructions on how to prepare this specially blended, beautifully perfumed kind of incense that was, they were to burn on the altar before the Lord. And we read that it was fragrant, it was aromatic, it was pleasing to the senses. And yet God said, says here, you know what? I think it stinks. I find it repulsive. It's detestable to me. He goes on, verse, middle of verse 13, new moon, Sabbaths, convocations, those were the high holy days. He says, I can't, can't bear your worthless assemblies. Verse 14, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Let, let me ask you a question. When you go to a worship service, don't you kind of hope that uh, when the service is over, you will leave church feeling refreshed. I hope that. When I come to church, sometimes I might come to church just feeling anxious or burdened or weighed down, and, and my hope is that after I'm done worshiping, my burden will be gone. And, and yet God, God says to them, he, he says, listen, I, feel, I actually feel more burdened when, when you all are done worshiping than I did when you started. My burden increases. He says, your, your gatherings, he says, they've become a burden to me. I'm weary, just tired of this. So what a review. My, this is God's evaluation of their worship. He says, I'm tired of it. I hate it. I find it detestable. And he just says, please stop. Please stop bringing meaningless offerings. So that's his review. Now why? <laughs> why, why is God's evaluation of their worship so negative? Remember, again, this is during a time of, of just a nationwide revival in passion for, for worship. Thousands of people are coming to, to, the, to, the, to the temple to worship God. Why? Why is it so low? Well, we should notice here that the reason is not because they lacked a nice building. I don't know about you, but I wish that we had better air conditioning in this building today. Don't you? I mean, it's not because there was something wrong with their worship facility. In, in fact, um, the temple that Hezekiah restored, this was none other than the great temple 
built by Solomon centuries before. And if you've read about the way Solomon built that temple, it was all made of imported cedar covered with purest gold. It was this stunning, stunning edifice. It was just an elaborate, imposing uh, work of architecture. It was renowned throughout the world. The problem was not the building. Also, we should note that the problem was not the music. It wasn't that the, the quality of the music was poor. We read in 2 Chronicles that chapter 29 that when Hezekiah restored the temple, it says, quote, he stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres in the way prescribed by David as commanded by the Lord through the prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priests with their trumpets. So they, basically they, they had a team of professional musicians working full-time devoted to nothing else than just um, using their instruments and their voices to provide beautiful songs of praise for the people as they came to the temple to worship God. So the problem was not the building, was not the music. We should also note that the, the, the problem was not, the reason God rejected their worship, it was not because there was some kind of shortfall in the sacrifices they were bringing. You, you may know that um, in ancient Israel, as through most of the ancient world, the way that people would worship was bringing animals to offer as sacrifices of praise to God. And that was not the problem. Verse 11 says the people were bringing, it says, bulls, lambs, and goats. And verse 12 says, literally, they brought so many animals. It, it says that the, that the courts of the temple were being trampled underfoot by how many animals were there. So God did not give them demerits because of their music. He, he didn't score them low because of their building. He didn't take off points because of a shortfall of sacrifices. God was displeased with their worship for one reason, one reason only. They were disregarding the needs of others. They were apparently oblivious to the needs of the poor. They were unconcerned with the needs of the oppressed. They were, their, their hearts were hard toward the needs around them. That's why God was displeased. Verse 15, God says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Oh my, wouldn't I hate the God to say that to me when I'm going to him in prayer. I'm not listening. Why? He says at the end of verse 15, your hands are full of blood. Now what did God mean when he said your hands are full of blood? You find the answer in verse 17. He says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Seek justice. Now, when God, speaking through Isaiah, said, seek justice, no one, no one in Judah at that time had to raise their hand and say, what do you mean by justice? They all knew what he meant. This, this, this theme of justice, this is a... Um, a dominant theme that runs through the whole Scripture, justice. In, in, in Hebrew, the, the word is mishpat, the mishpat of God. And, and justice in the Bible, it basically meant two things. Um, it meant restitution. It meant that if you need to make right what you've done wrong. If you've stolen from someone, you need to give it back. It meant restitution. Even more than that, it meant restoration. To, to, to do justice meant that you would, you would seek out people who were hurting, seek out people who were needy, pe people who had been left behind, people who were overlooked. You would seek them out 
and you would seek to restore them, to help them. Re restitution and restoration. In the Bible, those who practice mishpat, those who practice justice, are those who defend the widow, those who care for the orphan, those who welcome immigrants, those who feed the poor. It, it, those who practice justice are those who seek out vulnerable people who've been overlooked, left behind, and, and they help them. Now, I can't, over, I can't overstate how important this theme of justice is in the Bible. So we saw uh, earlier in Psalm 50, the Lord is a God of justice. You see that again in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. The Lord, Yahweh, is a God of justice. So if you think about that, it's astonishing. In, in, in the mindset of the, the, the biblical writers, justice, it, it's not merely something that God does. It's more than just something God thinks about or cares about. They would, they would say, no, justice, this is at the very core of who God is. The Lord, Yahweh, is, they say, a God of justice. Psalm 146 says, Yahweh upholds the cause of the oppressed. Yahweh gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets prisoners free. Yahweh lifts up those who are bound down. Yahweh watches over the immigrant, sustains the fatherless and the widow. So this is so important in Scripture that God is a God of justice. So the problem with the worship in uh, Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah had nothing to do with the excellence of their performance or with the passion behind their praise. No, listen, the problem was that they were gathering to worship the God of justice. And yet they were not seeking justice. Right? They, 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 they were overlooking the needs of the poor. They were disregarding the cries of the widow. They were indifferent to the, the suffering of the immigrant and, and the orphan. They, they were overlooking these things. And so God basically said, if that's the way you're going to live, I would prefer that you not worship me at all. Just lock the doors to the temple. Stop. Now, that's hard, isn't it? It would be so hard to hear God say that to any church. Just, I, I, I wish you would stop. Now, what does God say then? My third point, what does God tell them to do so that their worship would be pleasing to him? Well, basically, to use an old word from the Bible, God told them to repent. Verse 16, he said, wash Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Verse 17, learn to do right. Now, we, we might ask, what, what would it entail? What would it entail for them to learn to do right? Well, God goes on. First, he says, I want you to defend the oppressed. Defend the oppressed. Now, if, if you think about that phrase, obviously, that means more than just taking steps to alleviate people's suffering. Right? To defend the oppressed means working to address the very causes of that suffering. Right? It, it, then he says, take up the cause of the fatherless. The, the English Standard Version translates that, bring justice to the fatherless. Bring it to them. 
In other words, God is saying, I don't want you to just sit back and wait for needy people to come to you and ask for help. I want you to go and bring mishpat, bring justice to them. Go seek them out, find them, get to know them. Uh, Gustavo Gutierrez was, is a uh, Roman Catholic priest who has worked his entire adult life uh, for decades with the, the poor and the destitute in the slums of Lima, Peru. And he once said this. He said, so you say you love the poor. Name them. What are the names? Do you know them? Have you gone to them? That's what God's calling them to do. Bring justice to the fatherless. Then he says this. He says, plead the case of the widow. It's not talking about what they were to do with their hands, right? Giving, serving. No, it's talking about what they were to do with their voice. God is saying, I want, you to, I want you to, with your voice, give your voice to the cause of, of, of those who, who might feel like they don't have a voice, like no one's listening to them. They don't have a seat at the table of, of where decisions are made in society. Give your voice to the cause of, of the widow, so the voiceless ones. I wonder who you would put on the list of the voiceless ones in New York City. What are the groups of people in our city that are just sometimes underrepresented or unheard by the powers that be? We, we might list the poor, the disabled, the elderly, the undocumented, the uneducated, the under-resourced, the unborn, the addicted, the homeless, the forsaken, the mentally ill. Often, often these people just feel like they don't have a voice. No one's listening. And so God was saying to Israel, if you have people like that in your community, speak up for them. Proverbs 31 says that. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So this was God's solution for, the, for their, their worship. God, God did not come and say, hey, listen, you need a better sound system. You, you, you need nicer praise songs. You need a better worship team. You need a much better preacher. No, no, God didn't say that. God said, listen, here's my solution. Repent. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? Now, this is a dynamic that the Bible teaches, and, and it's important for us to understand. God, God tells us that our vertical actions of worship, if you think vertically, what do we do? We lift up our hands, we lift up our hearts, we lift up our eyes upward toward heaven to worship God. God says our vertical actions of worship will never, ever, ever be acceptable to Him if our horizontal actions reaching out to others around us are not right in His eyes. Um, Jesus, you know, said the same thing, didn't He? Have you heard this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? Jesus said, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there Remember that your brother or sister has something against you. you know, and I'll put it in our context. Maybe you come to church, and while we're, while we're singing or praising, you remember that you owe someone money, or you owe someone an apology, or you owe someone a phone call, or you owe someone forgiveness. Christ forgave you, and you won't forgive them. 
Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, he said, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go, be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. And this is, this is essentially what God is calling Israel to do. He said, listen, um, it's not that I don't love you, I do. It's not that I don't want worshipers, I do. But can we just call a time out? before you bring any more sheep up to this altar, before you sing any more songs of praise, God said to them, there's some things I want you to fix. I want you to fix those. Now, this is, uh, <laughs> these are hard words, and it's important for us to notice something here in this passage. I don't want us to miss this. As God called them to repent, in the very same breath, God gave them a beautiful, beautiful promise. Did you see that? Verse 18, this is the promise. God says, come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Let's, let's work this out. God said, though your sins are like scarlet, blood red, they shall be as white as snow. Though, though they are red as crimson, they shall all be like wool. So what God was saying to Israel, he's saying, listen, if you'll, if you'll just turn from your sin, God says, I promise I will wash you so thoroughly of your iniquity, you, you won't even be able to tell there was ever anything wrong at all. I will wash you so clean. Here's, it's important to remember that because, as I said, these are hard words. God was not scolding Israel because he wanted to crush them. No. He, he was correcting Israel because he loved his children like he loves us today. And he, and he wanted them to come into his presence and, and know the fullness of joy, of, of gathering it, it, under his love to worship him. God, God really desires to see us do that. So that's why he called them, listen, repent, make this right, make this right, and I will restore you. Now, God makes that promise to us in Christ, doesn't he? He, he just tells us that if, if we repent and we turn from our sin and we come to Jesus, God just says, I will wash you. I will cleanse you. Do you know that verse, First John 1, verse 7? It says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light. It's just kind of an invitation to leave, leave behind anything that's, uh, that's dark in our life. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, it says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us of all sin. So what do we do? What do we do with a passage like this on a hot August Sunday when the AC is not working well? I, I, think, I think we just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me from this. I know, I know in this church, in every church, we all, um, Christians really hunger don't we? We really hunger for meaningful worship. I think it's, I think it's something, a, a seed that the Holy Spirit plants in our hearts when we come to Jesus. There's just this desire there to come into the presence of our God and bring glory to His name. It's interesting when God says, you know what, I desire that too. Here's the kind of worship I'm looking for. I'm looking for praise that comes from the lips of people whose lives have been changed by my gospel. So if that's what God's looking for, it's for our good. So let's let him change us in any way that he might be calling today. Amen? Would you pray with me?
Lord, thank you that in your word we see that you love us enough sometimes to speak some really hard words to us. And um, we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us receptive hearts. If, if there are ways for any of us today that our praise or worship is not pleasing to you, things that you want us to repent of, maybe even specific individuals have come to mind. I just need to make that right with him. I need to make that right with her. God, I pray that you would not allow us to ignore your voice, that you would lovingly call us to that kind of repentance that would allow us to receive washing and cleansing and restoration from Jesus because you do love us and you want us to restore us in that way. Won't you do that in Christ's name? Amen.